Will we survive COVID-19? Will the church survive? Will we ever come back from this? I trust that in the midst of this uncertain time, you've begun to grow weary, discouraged, perhaps even question. Just this past week in the Washington Post, articles were ran emphasizing that churches are declining because of COVID-19, that perhaps many churches won't ever open their doors again. Perhaps you've not even thought about the impact that this has had upon the local church. Surely it's impacted the economy in our country, small businesses closing, never to open again. But what about the church? Will the church survive? Well, as we think about that question in light of what we're thinking about today in Genesis chapter 24, I hope for us to to really apply the text, well, in the circumstances we find ourselves today. I hope and trust that you've read Genesis chapter 24 and 25. This section closes out really a, a large portion of Genesis. This is the end of the life of Abraham. A new section will begin in the middle of chapter 25, for which we will pick up in a couple weeks. So as we close the life of Abraham and we conclude thinking about how God called Abraham out of the Ur of the Chaldeans, how he told Abraham to go to a land in which he had never been before, and Abraham faithfully followed. And God promised Abraham that he would make him a great nation. And he took him out on that tour and showed him the land and said that your ancestors will possess this land. It will be theirs. We saw the many trials that Abraham faced from life in Egypt to Abimelech to the barrenness of Sarah, his wife, to the fulfillment of God's promise of a son, Isaac, and the mourning of the loss of his wife, Sarah. Through the ups and downs of life, Abraham proved himself to be faithful. Though there were times where his faith was fuzzy and even lacking, Abraham persisted in his trust in the Lord. And in this final episode in the life of Abraham, he again demonstrates tremendous trust in his God. The God who called him, the God who promised to make him a great nation, would continue that promise through his son Isaac by providing Isaac a wife for whom they could carry on the promises of God to to provide children and those children and their children, which would be the great nation of Israel. The point of our passage this morning is that the Lord preserves His promise to Abraham by providing a wife for his son Isaac, that the promise might continue through Isaac. God is faithful to his word. While he is unseen in the story before us, he is the one orchestrating the affairs of men to bring about his divine purposes. The theological theme that we see in this text is the providence of God. The providence of God means that God is not only in the miraculous, 
but in the mundane. That God's hand is in every circumstance, in every moment of our lives. That God is providentially guiding the affairs of men to bring about His divine purposes on earth. The purpose of our time, really in studying this morning, is to ensure God's covenant people, you and I as Christians, that He will not abandon His promises to us, but that He has confirmed His promises through giving of a Son, Jesus Christ. God's hand is in control of all of life. We must learn to trust His providential care, even when circumstances seem to the contrary. As Sidney Graderis helpfully says, that Genesis 24 is to encourage the church to trust itself for its existence to the Lord's providential care. Well, as we think about the Lord's providence this morning, I trust that you have taken time to read this passage. Again, I want to emphasize that because if you haven't done so, please just pause the recording right now. I'll be here. I'll be waiting for you. Um, and I'll be here when you get back. But please go read the story. This story is filled with vivid beauty and language. It's a masterful tale. Bruce Walke calls this story masterful, romantic tale of theological reflection on divine providence. Please spend time reading. Notice the depth of description and poetic language. Take note how much attention to detail has been given to this story. Friends, it is the longest narrative section so far in Genesis. Now, why, why does Moses spend so much time on the story about a servant who is unnamed, who we don't even know his name, traveling to a faraway land to get a wife for Isaac. Why spend so much time? There's not some grand revelation from the Lord. There's not some visible power of, of miracle. Uh, why so much attention? Well, to teach us and to teach God's people that God isn't only in the big, but He's in the small. That God is in the everyday details of life. God is providential over His creation. He is bringing about His purposes. And so this morning, I just want to give you a, a really quick outline just to aid you as you're reading and thinking. Uh, really, there's four scenes in this story. The first scene is Abraham's commission of his servant. The second scene is the servant's providential meeting of Rebekah at the well. And that's really verses 10 through 28. And then really the, the, the heart of it is Bethuel's household, the family's consent to the marriage, which is verses 29 all the way to verse 61. And then that final scene, just poetic beauty, is Rebekah becomes Isaac's wife as he gazes out across the field and sees his bride and he takes her in and she becomes the matriarch of the nation. Well, as we think about this text, as we walk through this, 
Um, I want to note a few things again. I, I'm not going to spend much time, but I just want to show a few few things. First, um, Abraham's instructions. So we see in verses 1 through 9, Abraham's instructions to his servant. And I wanted to just point out why Abraham is doing this. Now, you might find it strange that Abraham is, is making his servant travel so far and, and why he won't let his son Isaac take a wife from among the Canaanites was because the Canaanites were idolatrous, sinful people. And the story, the heritage of Israel would be that when they would marry Canaanite women, well, their hearts would be drawn away from the Lord. And so Abraham is is protecting his son. He is teaching his son to follow the Lord. And this is really the primary reason. Secondly, we see that he does not want his son to return back to his homeland. The servant will ask him, well, should I take him back there if I can't find a wife? And he warns him not to take him back there. Why? Well, perhaps Isaac's heart might be drawn to his father's homeland rather than this land they are living in. Remember, they are, they are sojourners. They are aliens. They, are, uh, they, they have no land beyond the cave that his father bought to bury his mother, lest his heart be drawn back to his homeland. Abraham wants the servant to to go there himself, not send Isaac. It's ironic that Isaac's son, Jacob, he'll go back there to 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 his father's homeland and there find himself in immense trouble. Well, as we see the oath, he tells him, I want you to go. The point of the passage, though, I just want to just re-emphasize that. Verse, verse 7. Notice there at the end of verse 7, he says that the Lord will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. In other words, Abraham is trusting the Lord's providence in all of the affairs that are about to take place. Now, for you and I, we have a different perspective than the characters in the story, right? The characters in the story are, are, are in the, the front seat. They're just seeing what's before them. For us, we have that helicopter view. The characters have the dashboard view. For you and I, we have that helicopter view. We're, we're looking down on the story, and we can see God's hand in it. For them, they're, they're, they're needing to trust the Lord in the midst of life. Well, he sends them on this journey. And just a couple other notes. First of all, this would be about a 400-mile journey that would have taken the servant roughly 20 to 30 days to complete. So this is just a stroll down the street. This would have taken about a month. He has a caravan, 10 camels. This is a huge caravan. He's got men with him to aid him along his journey. And so, so imagine it's a month there and then a month back. A two-month journey, perhaps, overall. But yet this servant demonstrates tremendous faith in the Lord and his servant, his obedience to his servant. And we notice the, the servant's prayer. So in this sort of second scene in verses 10 through 28, we see Abraham's servant providentially meets Rebekah. Uh, he demonstrates trust in the Lord and his prayer in verses 12 uh, through verses 14. The servant prays that the Lord would give indication that the events that were about to happen are from the Lord. The Lord, and this again is the point, 
is the one who's providing Isaac a wife. The servant appeals to the covenant promises in his prayer. He knows that the Lord will provide the wife. And then in verses 15 and on, we see that, that lo and behold, Rebekah comes and lets down her water and is the fulfillment. And I think it's important for us to, to be clear on what's happening in the text, that this is not chance. This is, this is not by happenstance. This, is a, this isn't some sort of fate, but rather this is providence. That through the providence of God, the perfect girl comes along. She's from the right family. She's a hard worker. I mean, she's watering 10 camels here. Uh, this is no small task. This is perhaps probably would have taken her an hour or more to water 10 camels. She's even said to be very attractive in appearance. And best of all, she's single. The perfect one has come. The Lord provides. The servant conform, confirms at the, at the end of this scene in verse 27. As he bows his head and worships the Lord and says, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness towards my master. In other words, the Lord promises and he keeps his promise. Promises made and promises kept. The servant confirms that this is from the Lord. It was the Lord who will provide. He is preserving his promises to Abraham. Well, then comes the third scene. This sort of uh, sort of tell. It's a bit of a, re, uh, a rehashing or, or a repeat. You might have found yourself, uh, modern readers, sort of like, okay, uh, he's just repeating himself here. But notice a number of things in this text. Well, as the man and Rebecca travel uh, back to the, to the home, uh, we see a new character on the scene. Oh, if you know Genesis, this is a notorious character in the book of Genesis. Mr. Laban, Laban, the, sis, the brother, rather, of Rebekah, comes out. And notice there in verse 30, Moses reveals to us what Laban is really all about. As soon as he saw the rings and the bracelets on his sister's arms, verse 30, and heard the words of Rebekah, his sister, he went and met the man. You see, this is more than just a look. It's a stare. He stared at those fine jewels and he saw an opportunity to gain wealth. As would be the case with Isaac's son Jacob, Uncle Laban is after one thing, and that's money. He's motivated by greed and he sees the opportunity to gain great wealth. Because God had blessed Abraham tremendously, the bride price that this servant was bringing was tremendous and great. Well, the servant goes on then to read hash to retell uh, the details of the events that have taken place. And it's important as you read through them, not to just think that this is a complete repetition, but rather pay attention to what the, the variance in, in the first report and the second report. So the narrator's report is the first report. The second report here by the servant is his sort of theological reflection on what's taken place. And so look, for example, at verse 35. The Lord has greatly blessed my master, and he has become great. Well, throughout this, he's emphasizing the Lord's prosperity in Abraham's life as an indication that the Lord's hand is in the details that will follow. God is the one who's bringing about these promises. 
Well, in the end, Laban confirms that this must be from the Lord. Um, Perhaps he is demonstrating some trust, probably most likely not, but rather confirming it. So in verse 50, Laban and his father Bethuel uh, answer and said, This thing is from the Lord. We cannot speak but good or bad. Therefore, they sort of say, yes, it's okay. And even here in the sense of the text, we see greater tension created. While they, 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 they say, hey, it's okay, she can go with you. Notice then what happens, a little tension in the text. Is Abraham's servant gives them the bounty, the, these fine ornaments and jewelry and, and great wealth. But notice they don't want to send her just, just yet. Well, look here in verse 55. Her brother and her mother said, Let the young woman remain with us a while, at least ten days. After that, she may go. Well, it might indicate they wanted ten days, but it was ten days or or so. In other words, perhaps longer. This sort of anticipates Uncle Laban's trickery with his nephew Jacob, Isaac's son. Abraham's servant has a a month-long journey ahead of him. He hastens to return to his master to celebrate the Lord's provisions, but we see there is some tension. He's like a little kid on Christmas morning. He can't wait to tell his friends all the the wonderful gifts that he's gotten for Christmas. Well, they call Rebecca in to see if she will go with the man, thinking that perhaps she will want to stay and linger a bit. But Rebecca is another character in the story we must admire. By faith, Rebecca will leave her family behind to make this long, month-long journey to a foreign land, a land whom she's never been to, to marry a man whom she's never met. She is the new woman of faith. She's the new Sarah, the one who will provide her, who prove herself to be a strong leader, all by misdirected at times. She will be the matriarch of the nation. She will demonstrate what it means to follow the Lord and His promises. Well, as the scene closes with Rebecca and the servant beginning their journey back to the promised land, we see such beauty in verses 62 through 67 of really God's providence in this. We're told that Isaac has moved. It's been some time, and he was dwelling in the Negev. And as he went out to the field to meditate, worship the Lord. His eyes see from a distance the Lord's provision. He sees God's promises fulfilled as his bride is coming veiled with her new adorned jewelry, perhaps even the jewelry that his mother Sarah wore. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes and saw Isaac and said, Who is this man walking in the field? And the servant said, It is my master. You see, the Lord provides. He provided a wife for Isaac. In all of the twists and turns of this tale, we see God's hand was in it. He was the one who would bring the servant to the right place at the right time to find the right wife to continue the promises of God. As Psalm 111 reminds us that the Lord provides food for those who fear Him. He remembers His covenant forever. Friend, the Lord is faithful, faithfully providing what was needed to continue the covenant promises. This story, while lengthy in detail, is meant to remind God's people that however hard or impossible the circumstances are, 
the Lord will be faithful to His Word. He will provide all that they need. This is, of course, why Jesus taught His disciples to, to seek first the kingdom of God and, and not to run after material things, to not concern themselves with the daily things of life, but rather to trust that His Father would provide. Jesus gave Himself to the providence of His Father, and so must we. We must see that this story is about a God who is faithful to His people, that God will not abandon His heritage. Sidney Graderis, again, is helpful here as he writes, No matter how deep the distress of the church today, we can confidently entrust the continuing existence of Jesus' church to the Father's providential care. As William Cowper helpfully wrote in his hymn, God Moves in a Mysterious Way, he says that we are to entrust ourselves to the sovereignty and providence of God, even though we don't understand where God is at, or how His hand is leading. Cowper has this helpful line when he says this, Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust Him for His grace. Behind a frowning providence, He hides a smiling face. One author says of this story, that this story means that we must live in full consciousness of the miracle of divine providence, understanding that God has total hands-on control of the world and that all of life is to be lived for Him without fear and without increasing expectation. Brother, sister, may we learn to trust the Lord in the midst of this difficult season. May we learn to trust the Lord even when we don't understand where the Lord's hand is in our lives. Well, our story concludes in chapter 25 and verses 1 through 18 with really a, a concluding word at the end of an era in the death of Abraham, the Lord's servant. This marks the end of an era. This is the close of the first patriarch of the people of Israel. He has heard the promises of God and he has believed in them. He has trusted the Lord and it was created and it was promised to him. He trusted him. He trusted God's word when it seemed impossible. And we're told that it was credited to him as righteousness. But you know, Abraham never saw the promises of God fully fulfilled. Yes, he had a son. But this son is 40 years old and without a wife. They had no children. And more to the point, he is still an alien in a foreign land. As the author of Hebrews tells us, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. But as it is, they desired a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared for them a city. And so is our journey to the celestial city. We believe in the promises of God. We trust in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have received the Holy Spirit as a down payment, as a guarantee of our future home. Yet we live in the tension of the already and the not yet. We long for the city that is built without walls, the one where there is no sun or moon, 
but where the Lord Himself gives its light, where the Lamb who was slain resides with us. Brothers and sisters, let us then with confidence approach the throne of grace in this time of present need. Let us long for this as we are in exile from one another. Let us long to gather again when we will celebrate our heavenly home, a reflection as we sing together God's praises. Let us then by faith trust our Lord, who is the sovereign King and who is providentially getting us home. Will the church survive? Oh, she has survived worse and prevailed. Let us not give ourselves to anxiety or worry, but to confident trust that the Lord has seen His people through famine, pestilence, and slavery. He has seen them through sin and suffering, exile and execution. And they have all made it safely through, through the waters of death, to that great city. Let's pray. Father, we pray today that as we open and think about your word, that you would affect change. Lord, the sufferings we are in the midst of are real, painful. Many may be tempted with anxiety or worry or stress. And Father, I pray that in the midst of this real, hard, and painful season, that you would teach your people to have confidence, trust in a sovereign and providential God who shall see us home. Come, Lord Jesus, for your glory and our eternal good. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.